0: I love that song. I'm glad we sang it before the message, particularly before this message. This message of, that connects to this song, because when we sing those words, God hears my heart, speak what is true. The implication is that when he speaks, we will listen. God, speak to us because we desperately need to hear from you. God, speak to us, we will listen. Speak to us because we will gladly, humbly, in faith, submissively respond and receive all that you have to say. We will not harden our hearts. We will receive your word. The main focus of the message today is in answering these questions. What keeps someone from hardening their heart to the voice of God? What keeps a faithful Christian a faithful Christian? When the troubles and struggles of everyday life wear you down, will you stay the course? When severe suffering threatens to undo or overwhelm you, Will you continue to carry your cross? When the pressures to conform to the culture are coming nonstop from nearly nearly every angle, will you still follow Jesus? When persecution comes like a raging fire against you and your family, will you remain faithful? And when the devilish strategies assail you in every part of your life, tempting you to take the easier road, the more convenient road, the the road that is more flesh-satisfying and more well-traveled, when he tempts you to do that, how will you respond? What will keep you from walking away from the living God? At times like these, and these times can come at any moment, and they can come throughout your entire life, what will preserve your faith in the goodness of God, in the goodness of the good news of Jesus Christ? What will give you steadfastness of faith and faithfulness to Jesus as Lord? And if you say, God, God will keep me. He preserves his people. You would not be wrong, but your answer could be better. Because you have to ask the question, if God preserves, if God keeps us, how does He do that? There are many ways, I'm sure, but the writer of the book of Hebrews shows us that the chief means, the chief way that God keeps His people believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and committed to Him, the chief means of God preserving His church is the church. God preserves his people through his people. This is the message of our text this morning that speaks about the voice of God. The voice of God to which we should not harden our hearts. Because, you see, the voice of God, it is God who speaks. And God speaks through the exhortations and encouragements of the church in order to keep his people from hardening their hearts and falling away from him. Maybe to put it more positively, God keeps his people firmly believing in Jesus, and he keeps them faithful to Jesus to the very end. How does he do that? By speaking through his people. When they give exhortation and encouragements to each other. As I said, God preserves his people through his people. Would you grab your Bibles and stand with me? In honor of the reading of the Word of God this morning, our sermon text will be from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 15. Hebrews chapter 3, starting at verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Whenever we come up here to preach. We know we're proclaiming, declaring a message, but in doing so, we're also trying to persuade you to respond to the message. We're trying to convince you to believe it, to receive it, and to respond in faith-filled obedience to it. And in that effort, we often will find a, a, a problem in the text that the, the, the text is addressing in our lives and how it gives the answer. But in this passage, I see at least two major problems that are being addressed. The problem of our hearts toward God. And the second is the problem of our hearts toward the hearts of other people and their heart toward God. I'll explain these each in turn. The first problem that is being addressed in this passage comes from the implication of the command to not harden your hearts. It's given in verse 7. And eight, and then again in verse 15. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And then in verse 13, he, he gives a passive message here. saying that none of you may be hardened, like it happens to you because that's the default. Do you see in that the implication is that our hearts are easily hardened? Otherwise, we wouldn't need to be told not to let them be hardened. Our hearts are prone to wander. They're easily deceived by sin's foolish and false promises. Our natural response to the voice of God is to harden our hearts and to reject his word. Now, you might not think that at first because we think of rejection as a flat denial. But you see, there are other ways to harden your hearts and to reject God's word. You can do it by minimizing the importance of God's word. You can undervalue God's Word. You can manipulate and slightly just ever so subtly twist what God says in His Word. And you can even reject God's Word simply by being apathetic to them. You just don't really care all that much. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever read your Bible only to put it down and realize you have not really been moved at all? Or am I the only one? Have you ever heard a a sermon calling you to great things? Telling you of great, glorious truths to make serious changes in your life because of that, only to shrug it off? Have you ever listened to a friend talk so excitedly about what God's doing in their life, what God is teaching them in His Word, Without yourself being excited with them, and without even being convicted of your over your lack of excitement, your lack of passion for Christ and His Word. Have you ever left a counseling session, either formal or informal, just hanging out with friends where you have been challenged or perhaps even rebuked? And the only thing you can think of are the excuses for your sins. And yeah, what about them? And what about you? And what about that other person and their sins? Or have you ever been talking to someone who's trying to encourage you with the promises of God and you just simply refuse to be comforted? You see, these are all ways of hardening our hearts to God's word. They're all ways of rejecting the very voice of God because every time someone accurately reads or relays or explains or proclaims or applies the truth of this book, it is the very voice of God speaking to you. And refusal to humbly receive God's Word as God's Word is a rejection of God's Word. And a rejection of God's Word is a rejection of God Himself. And the more you do this, the harder your hearts will become. And the easier it will be to say yes to sin and no to Jesus. And if continued, if you continually harden your heart, the end result will be a complete rejection of all that God has said. It will be a complete falling away from the living God and a rejection and denial of Jesus as Savior and Lord proving that your faith was never genuine. You never really had a share in Christ. You never really were a part of his people, though it seemed to you and everybody else at the time that it was so. That's the first problem that's being addressed in this text. The second problem that is being addressed comes from the implication of the command to exhort one another. In verse 13, he says, But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. The fact that he has to command us, exhort us, call us to exhort one another tells you that at least there is some reluctance in us to do so. There's a reluctance not only to receive divine exhortation, but even to give them. I mean that we, the people of the church, are the primary means, or probably more accurately stated, we are the primary human agents of preserving the faith of our fellow brothers, sisters in Christ, can make us feel a little uneasy, if not overwhelmed. But, beloved, the fact is, your heart's softness and humility and receptivity to God's Word and to Jesus Christ Himself is in some real measure, if not in some large measure, dependent upon me. And a person on a person next to you and behind you, and in front of you, and across the room over here. And my heart being soft toward Jesus and being faithful to follow Him is in some real measure, if not in some large measure, dependent upon you. That's heavy. And we don't always want to feel that weight. I mean, that, the reality is, that person that you don't know very well. Maybe that you don't really want to get to know that well because it just uh, takes more effort and time and energy. Maybe that person you don't really even like that much. Do you realize that they are dependent upon you and you are dependent upon them? Being responsible to give exhortations and encouragements to others so that they will remain faithful in following Jesus to the end? That's hard. We don't always want to receive it. But if you are not committed to exhorting and encouraging your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, then their hearts and yours may be more easily hardened and more easily stay hardened against God and so possibly lead to a falling away from God altogether. This is the calling of the church. Well, what are we called to do exactly? He says in verse 13, exhort one another. What does that mean in this context? The word implies coming alongside someone for their aid to help them. And it involves things like warning and urging and encouraging and rebuking and comforting and exhorting. At the heart of it, though, the heart of it is calling people to something. And this something is a someone. When you exhort every day, as long as it's called a day, you are calling your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to continue trusting in and obeying and loving and adoring Jesus and doing so all the more the day draws near. Passages are scattered throughout the New Testament calling us to this very thing. And here's just a few. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you plural you people richly teaching and admonishing one another that you see that's not just the job of the pastors to teach and admonish that's the job of every brother and sister every faithful covenant member of Piney Ridge Church teach and admonish one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to each other for each other with thankfulness in your hearts to God listen to 1st Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 14 Where Paul says, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. Or as the writer of the book of Hebrews says later on, in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, and let us, all of us, consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We have to stir one another up not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the calling of the church. This is what we are called to do, to call each other to continued and greater faith in and faithfulness to the Lord Jesus. But we are reluctant to do so. We hesitate. Why is that? Well, simply put, it's either because of sin or foolishness or both. That's what keeps us from working hard at helping others to keep or to grow soft in their hearts toward God and his word. There are sinful, foolish excuses for not obeying these verses here. There are many. Let me just give you a few. Maybe we have a lack of care, a lack of genuine concern for each other think, I just, I'm kind of apathetic and selfish. I'd rather do something else. That's possible, isn't it? Also, it could be a lack of commitment. Maybe we care about them, but we're just not enough because I'm committed to other things. I just don't need to add another thing on my plate to be committed to them. We don't prioritize the faith and the faithfulness of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Maybe it's a lack of faith. Because we we care about them, we're committed to them, we just don't think it'll actually do anything. It won't really work. I've seen too many people just walk away. Me saying anything is not going to do anything for their good. Perhaps it's a foolishness where we lack urgency. We lack urgency because we think foolishly so that, well, we always have tomorrow, that's guaranteed, I'll do it later, we say. But did you hear what he says? Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts and exhort one another every day as long as it is called today because tomorrow is not guaranteed for any one of us. Perhaps it's a lack of community-mindedness. We're too individualistic in our thinking, too independent in our thinking, and we forget that we're a body. We belong together in one body under our head, the Lord Jesus We forget our responsibility for each other. and We have a failure to see how the parts affect the whole and how the whole affects the parts. Perhaps we have a lack of understanding or embracing our calling as the church. And we feel inferior, like hypocritical or unqualified to be able to give such uh, uh, exhortations and urgings and warnings and rebukes. You I think, I, I, I mean, somebody else can do it, I, I, not me. Somebody else should do it, not me. Forgetting that God has indeed called you. As a way though, of overcoming any and all of these foolish excuses and sinful excuses, I think it helps to look at the logic behind the necessity of exhortation. Like he's telling us to exhort here, and he's saying it's absolutely necessary. And I want you to see the logic of it. First in verse 7 he says, today, if you hear his voice, whose voice? Well, the voice of God himself. It says in verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, God, the Holy Spirit says, if you hear his voice. Now, what's interesting about that is in verses 7 through 11, he's actually quoting Psalm 95, which we read earlier. So, do you hear what he says? The Holy Spirit is speaking. That's God's voice through David, as he wrote Psalm 95. And David was writing in Psalm 95 in reference to Exodus 17, which we read earlier, and to Numbers 14. Where in this, the Holy Spirit was speaking through David, he was speaking through Moses, and he was speaking through Joshua and Caleb. And he was saying in every one of those instances, do not harden your hearts. Straight from this message of, hey, don't harden your hearts against God's voice, He says, take care, brothers, and exhort one another. Do you see the connection? When he says here in verse 12, take care, literally in the Greek, it's see to it. Like we said earlier, who preserves the people of God? God does. He will see to it that we are remain faithful to the end. But how? He says, church, you see to it. I'll make sure, so you go make sure that they stay faithful and don't fall away. In verse 13, it says, but exhort one another. Again, in, in the English, I think it's a, it's a good translation. It makes sense, and it's, it's part of the intended meaning. It's reciprocal, like, I, I'll exhort you, you'll exhort me. Like, we will encourage one another. Reciprocal. But the, actually, in the Greek, it's reflexive. Meaning, back on ourselves, it says, you, the church, exhort yourselves. The responsibility, God says, falls on the church. God preserves his people through his people. We are called to do it. The responsibility is to each, and it is to all. And then verse 14 gives us the ground, kind of the, 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 the reason here behind this logic for why we ought to exhort, he says, for we have come to share in Christ. That is, we have a share in Christ and all the promises and all the blessings of salvation that Christ has purchased. That is, we are a true Christian and we are truly be saved if, it's conditional, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. We don't always do well with nuance. We just gotta be honest. We don't prefer or allow for complexity and nuance in our theology or our practice. The black or white, right or wrong, good or bad, either or, all or nothing approach just seems so much better, or at least it's easier, isn't it? Like, either God preserves us supernaturally, mysteriously, miraculously, keeping us faithful and believing in the Lord Jesus all by himself, or else we do it. Which is it? Either or. My beloved, it's not that neat. My wife is an excellent cook, um, but she's also a really clean cook. Like uh, when she's baking a cake or uh, fixing supper, she'll be washing dishes as she's doing other things. Um, If if I cook, which is not often, my family's probably grateful. But um, there's a few things I know how to do, and if I'm cooking, she comes to the kitchen. I just tell her to go get out um, because I can't do that. I can't focus on more than one thing at a time, and so it's a mess. But at the end, everybody eats, and we, all, we clean it up, and it's all good, right? The end is good, but the process is quite messy. I think we can say the same of our salvation. That the end of it all, the final fullness of our salvation, is perfect. It's beautiful. But the process, the means by which God keeps us believing all the way to the end, it can seem quite messy. The doctrine of the preservation and perseverance of the saints is complex. It's nuanced. The practical workings of of resting in the assurance of our salvation can be quite challenging. And oftentimes when I'm counseling someone who's struggling with this, I'll tell them, you know, maybe it's better if you don't focus immediately on the assurance of salvation. Maybe you should focus immediately on the assurance of your faith. Because if you are truly believing in the true gospel of Jesus Christ, the only true Savior, then you will truly be saved. But as Pastor Nathan said last week, the issue is not, did you have faith or did you once believe, but are you continually believing? Is your faith a real, continual, steadfast faith? Verse 14 says that, For we have come to share in Christ. That is, we know that we are sharing in this gospel, this truth, this salvation, this eternal life in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It didn't say, if we have an original confidence but if we hold firm to it, to the end. Now, while it is true true that if we begin well, we will end well. That is, if we begin with saving faith, then we surely will end with saving faith. God will see to it. The problem, though, I think is twofold. One, sometimes it looks to us and to everybody else that we began well. As Jesus says in Matthew 13, verses 20 through 20, too, as he explains his parable of the sower. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. This looks great. They're not hardening their hearts to God, right? They're immediately receiving the word with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, the very Same circumstance that the people in the book of Hebrews are experiencing. immediately falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. No sign of rejecting it. He hears it. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, or in our text, the deceitfulness of sin, choke the word. And it proves, it proves over time unfruitful. And the other part of this, again, is that... The the problem with thinking, well, okay, you begin well, that's good enough. You cannot begin well and then end well if there's no middle section. You can't start a race and then finish it if there's nothing in between. You have to keep going. So Hebrews 3.14 is saying that both what reassures us of our original confidence, our original faith, and what ensures that our faith will be real in the end is our present-day faith. If today you do not harden your heart, that gives you assurance that it was and will be real. If today you receive his word humbly with a soft heart toward the Lord. Do you want to know if you began well? Do you want to know if you began with genuine faith? Do you want to know if you will end with genuine faith? Then have it today hear His Word, receive what He says to you through His Word with faith today. God will see to it that all who are truly His will continue in faith firm to the end. But how will He do this? How will He preserve His people? Through the church. Through you. Which verse 15 connects us back to. It connects to all of this, telling us what we must do in response. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He sandwiches this whole section in verses 7 and 8 and 15, the bookends of this whole section, with the same quotation from Psalm 95. He says, the Holy Spirit says, and then he says, it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Coming right after verse 14, I think the point is this. That because it is true that we have come to have a real share in Christ, that we are truly saved individuals believing faithfully in Christ, we have the eternal salvation and the promise of it. We have all of that in Christ only if we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Therefore, it has been said. Therefore, the Holy Spirit said, therefore, we must say to each other, do not harden your hearts. Hear the word of the Lord and do not harden your hearts against him. Keep faithful, keep following him. He's worth it. It's true, it's good. We have to tell each other that. The four in verse 14, I think, makes it even clearer. Comes right after verse 13 which says, exhort one another every day. Why? Because, you, you see, we only have a real share in Christ if we remain faithful to the end. So call one another to be faithful to the end. The logic of it all is this. Everyone who continually hardens their hearts against God and His Word, everyone who does that continually will fall away. If you, continually harden your hearts by belittling it, by minimizing it, by being apathetic to it, by twisting it or denying it in any way. This will lead to you falling away from the living God. No matter what, how long you've been in this church, or no matter how long you've been in a Christian home or said you believe certain things, it will prove that it was never real. Yet the point of this passage is the connection that many who do this, many who fall away because they've hardened their heart, do so because no one else is encouraging and exhorting and calling them to continued faith in and faithfulness to Jesus. That's why. Because this is how God preserves His people. He preserves us and keeps us believing and holding fast to our confidence in Christ, firm to the end, through the church. This is how he preserves us and keeps us from falling away from the living God. It's through his people. God speaks through the exhortations and encouragements of the church in order to keep them, the church, from hardening their hearts and so falling away from him. Do you see the logic? But in this, we hear a warning. In verse 7, the exhortation is, Do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. But then the rest of, of, of 8 through 11 is a negative example. Don't harden your hearts as they did at Meribah and Massah in Exodus 17, when they were quarreling with Moses and saying, does God even care about us? Is he even for us. They were hardening their hearts. He says, God says in Numbers 14, that we will take in the land, go into the land of promise and take it. But 10 of the spies said, no, they're too big. We can't do it. Caleb and Joshua said, don't harden your hearts to what God has said. He told us to go take it. So we ought to. But their hearts were always going astray. And so he said, they shall not enter my rest. They did not make it into the promised land. And here he's saying, as we will learn in the coming weeks, this rest is more than just Canaan. It's a new creation. It's heaven. It's eternal life. It's salvation and forgiveness. It's God Himself. We will have none of that if we continually harden our hearts. That's the warning. In verse 12, immediately following that section of negative example as warning, He says, Take care, brothers, or literally, see to it, brothers. And it's actually more tactical than that because there's a, a, a Greek construction here. It's a phrase that always means a serious, serious warning. But in this particular construction, It doesn't mean there's a theoretical possibility of something bad happening. It actually means there is an inevitable reality that this bad thing will happen, that you will fall away from the living God if you do not do what we ought to do. It makes that clear in verse 14. You reverse it. If we do not hold our original conference firm to the end, then we will not have a share in Christ. Every true brother and sister in Christ, therefore, should be encouraging, exhorting, calling one another to continued faith and in faithfulness to Jesus. We should see to it that we warn and comfort and rebuke and call one another to him or else. That's the message. Do it or else if you do not call others toward Christ to faith, continued faith in him and continued and growing faithfulness to him, then they may fall away from the living God. In fact, God has so ordained it that if no one calls for continued faithfulness, then no one will be faithful and all will be lost. That is how he has ordained that he preserve his people through his church. But this should also be a word of encouragement and promise to us. You see, the logic of the text it involves this warning, but the faith behind the exhortation tells us in verses 13 through 15 that there's a promise. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we who we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. God keeps his people. God preserves his people firmly, believing in and being faithful to Jesus to the very end. How? By speaking through the exhortations and encouragements of his people. Remember, God preserves his people through His people. So God has warned, only those who persevere will be saved. But he's also promised, if you exhort my people, they will persevere and be saved. There's great confidence, great hope, great encouragement that we should have. There's a faith behind this exhortation to exhort, which leads us, I think, to applying it should you apply this passage? Let me give you just two. Number one, be committed to your salvation. Be committed to Christ and your own salvation. And so listen to the Word. Receive the exhortations, the encouragements, the rebukes, the warnings of the Word of God. Do not harden your hearts against His voice, no matter who they come through. Don't harden your hearts Humbly receive all that God says to you. So read, study, listen to the Word of God when other Christians in the church are gathered together and together with them hear God's voice and receive it. This is a passage of of warning. It's a passage of promise, but it's also a passage of exhortation. So we ought to receive it because God speaks through his people. So when you gather together on Sunday morning, when you gather together on a Wednesday night with your piney family, when you gather with your discipleship group or an accountability partner or just with friends hanging out from the church, you ought to expect you should be praying for and desiring that God would speak through you to them and through them to you. Every time. Every time. And when they do speak, receive it as though it is a word from God. love what Al Mohler says. I paraphrase immersing yourself in the community of saints, immersing yourself under their care and their watchfulness over you, their preaching the Word of God to you and exhorting you and encouraging you, that is the only sure remedy to being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. If we are committed to Christ and our own salvation, then we will immerse ourselves in the body of Christ. But secondly, secondly, We need to be committed to Christ and to their salvation. Be committed to Christ and your own, but also be committed to Christ and their salvation, those around you. So don't only hear the word, but speak the word. Don't just receive the exhortations, but give them. Because this is your calling, church. Pray to God. Pray to God for them. But then speak for God to them. By exhorting them and encouraging them and warning them and urging them and comforting them, calling them to continued faith and in faithfulness to Jesus. Practically, how do you do this? Well, you have to spend time together. You can't do that if you're not together. You have to connect with people's lives in order to speak into their lives. I'm convinced this is one of the the, the most practical ways that Satan trips us up. He convinces us it's not all that important that we get together regularly. It's, you just don't need to do that. You've got other things. There's other things going on. And there are times, for sure, legitimately, where we shouldn't be gathered together and, on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday as individuals, as families, for sure. But how often do we neglect gathering together, even in smaller groups, even with a friend, or neglect calling them and saying, hey, let's hang out. We just don't do it because we don't think it's important. We forget that God speaks to us through them and through us to them. So gather together. And when we gather together, what do we do? Well, we exhort. We call people. We call them to Jesus, both by indirect ways and indirect ways. In indirect ways, we call people to Jesus, continually, sometimes unintentionally. You're at a piney family gathering, and you're just sharing your thoughts upon the text or the topic at hand. God uses that to stir somebody else up. You're meeting together with friends, just hanging out And you're just testifying to what God has taught you or what He's teaching you or how He's humbling you or the the questions and concerns you have over your own soul. And God uses that to speak to them. You are praying at a prayer gathering and other people overhear you. And God breaks their heart over their own sinfulness. Or He stirs them up to care for the lost more. Or whatever it may be, God speaks through you even unintentionally, indirectly, when we gather together. But he also does it directly. He calls people directly through you as in casual and informal ways. The casual ways are just your hanging out with friends and your conversations. What are they of? Do we talk about important things, things that matter? Is Jesus ever the topic? Is what we are reading in God's Word ever the focus? Let it be intentional, direct ways of calling them. Maybe it's just general reminders where we're saying, you know What? We're talking about some political or cultural, societal issue. And you say, well, yeah, but we got to remember. Just saying as people, as, as Christians, we, we got to make sure that we, we give those general reminders that God can use that in casual ways. Maybe just by asking questions. How are you doing? And specifically in this area where I know you're struggling with, asking those questions, again, God can call people through that. But in direct ways, not only casual, but direct, formal ways. Maybe you're counseling someone or you're teaching others, or you're preaching, or you are an accountability partner with somebody, or you're in a discipleship group, and you're saying, this is what God's Word says. And don't just always think, well, somebody else should do it, or somebody else is going to do it. God has called you. Whether we are speaking words of encouragement or exhortation, whether it's indirect or direct, casual or formal, we ought to do it prayerfully. Asking God to actually use it. And then we should do it humbly, knowing that if God does use it, it's ultimately because of His grace and His sovereign power. We ought to do it wisely, because there are some encouragements, some exhortations, some rebukes, some warnings, some comforts that don't fit every occasion. And there are certain ways that we ought to go about it that may make it more loving or less loving. We need to be wise in how we call people to faithfulness in Jesus. But then we ought to do so faithfully. That is according to Scripture. When you exhort someone, make sure what you're telling them to do is from this book. You better be sure. And number two, when you are encouraging them, make sure you're not giving them worldly encouragement of, they're there, it'll be all okay because of, give them something solid. According to to scripture. And I would add, according to Scripture means being Christ-centered. Make sure your exhortations, your encouragements are centered on Jesus. Your exhortations, your encouragements must never be disconnected from the person, the work, and the promises of Jesus, but always grounded in Him and with Him as the goal. You see, the main exhortation behind every exhortation should be hold fast by faith in our superior Savior. We're calling people to Jesus. And if I may exhort you, never, ever doubt that God will keep his people. Never doubt that God will preserve his church. But also, never forget how he does that. It is through the church. It's through you. And it's through them. That's how he does it. Never doubt that he will do it. Never forget how he does it. And never forget why he does it. Why does God preserve us? Like, you would think, if He has been so overwhelmingly gracious to call us and to bring us in, and then we wander away time and time and time again and reject His Word in small and subtle and continued ways, hardening our hearts, why would He keep with us? It's amazing grace, isn't it? It's only because of His Son, Jesus Christ, that He brings us forgiveness. Forgiveness to those who have hardened their hearts again and again and again and have come back and said, Lord, I'm sorry. I was preparing this message this week and it wasn't until about midnight on Friday night as I was studying this passage and wanting to make it, get it right and to make it clear for your good that God rebuked me. You see, I was reading this text and saying, what do they need to hear? And God said, Jason, you're hardening your heart against my voice because it's first for you. I need this. Don't just look at what God can do for others. First, receive his word. Beloved, do not harden your heart against the voice of God. But if you do, repent. Because you have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. There's forgiveness. There is hope. There is grace. Both for pardon and for transformation. But if your heart is hard, if it's not soft and humble toward Jesus, towards the gospel truth about him, such that you do not trust in Jesus as being your advocate, your only hope, your righteousness. And then today you have heard his voice. Do not harden your heart. Today is the day where you must slay your stubborn pride on the altar of Christ. Today is the day you must repent of your refusal to bow your face to the ground before the living God. Today is the day you must humbly receive the word that God has spoken to you. Because today, beloved, today is the day of salvation. And if you're not there, then please come and talk to me afterwards. Come and talk to another pastor or another Christian around you. Put it on a connection card. Email us, but do it today. If you are trusting in the Lord Jesus... You know that your heart has been hard toward him way too many times. You have been apathetic and cold and dull time and time again. You've rejected what he said by disobedience. And yet you know that he is your hope. He is your salvation. He's your forgiveness. Then in just a moment, you can exit to your left, come up to one of these tables, and grab the communion elements, this bread and this juice, with the gluten-free being to you your far left. And I want you to go back to the right, to your seats, but I don't want you to take it. I want you to take it to your seats and hold on to it. We're going to take it together this morning as a church. Because I want, I want us to, to illustrate that we, we're not just individuals. We are part of a body. And they depend upon you, and you depend upon them. So we're going to take it together. So if you've had your faith affirmed, in a local church, you've been through baptism, then you can come up in just a moment and take the communion elements that represent the, bread, uh, the, the body and blood of Christ given for hardened sinners like us. For those who should come, whenever you're ready, please do go back to your seats and we'll take it together in a moment.